0: Section 16 of The Life of Richard Nash, Esquire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Martin Sturge and Paul Stevens. The Life of Richard Nash, Esquire, Late Master of Ceremonies at Bath, by Oliver Goldsmith. Edited
1: by Peter Cunningham. Epitaphium Ricardi nash, armigeri. Hic situs est, Ricadus nash. Obscuro loco natus, et nullis ortus maioribus, cui tamen, orem miram, et incredibilem, regnum opulentissimum florentissimum, qui plebs proceres principes liberis sui suffragiis, ultròdit telerunt, quod et ipsi summa cum dignità tenuit, anus plus quincaginta, universo populo consentiente, approbante, plaudente. Una praeteria, un oque omnium ordinum consenso, ad imperium suum adjuncta est, Magni nominis provincia quam admirabili consilio et ratione per se, non unquam perlegatos, administravit. Eam quotanis invissiri dignatos et apud provinciales quad necesi fuit solitus manere. In tanta fortuna cui fasto turgidus rex incessu patuit, nequit tiranorum more se iussit colli, aut plus honores titulosque sibi arrugavit, sed cuncta insignia etiam regium diadema regiciens, caput contentus fuit tornare galero albo manifesto animis uicandoris signo. Legator prudentissimus, vel soloni et circurgo illustrio, leges quaskunque voluit, statuit fixit, promulgavit, omnes quidem, cum civibus suis, tum hospitibus, advenis, peregrinis, gratas, iucundas, utiles. Voluptatum, arbiter et minister, sed gravis, sed elegans, et urbanus, et in summa comitate satis adhibens severitatis. In primus curavit, ot in virorum et foeminarum coetibus nequis impudenter faceret, nequi in iis quod in esset, impuritatis clamoris tumulti civitatem hanc celeberimam, delicias suas non modu puncerimus edificis auxit, sed praeclara disciplina et moribus ornavit, cui penemu quisquam to prepon melius intelexit, ex coluit, docuit. Justus, liberales, benignus, facetus, qui amicos omnibus praecipue miseris et ignemis nullus habuit inimicos praeter magnos costam ad et declamatores et tristes et fanaticos qui generi humano sunt inimicissimi pacis et patriae amans concordiam felicem et perpetuam in regno suo constituit usque adeo ad et nullus alteri petulanter maledicere aut facto loqueri auderit nequi tamquam sibi metuens in publicum armatus prodiri fuit quancum potentissimus omnia arbitrio suo gubernans haudu tamen ipsers libertas, magis usquam floruit. Gratia, gloria, auctoritate, singulari enim temperamentum invenit, rem magna cogitationis, et rerum omnium fortassi difficilimam, quo ignobiles cum nobilibus, pauperes cum divitibus, indocti cum doctissimi, ignavi cum aiquari si putarent rex omnibus idem quiquit percaverit nam peccabus omnes in se ipsum magis quam in alius et errore aut imprudentia magis quam sceleri ad improbitate peccavit nusquam veru ignorationi decori aut honesti, neque ita quidem osquam, ot non veniam ab humanis omnibus facile impetrarit. Huius vitae morum cui exemplar, si caeteri reges regulique, et quot quot sunt regnorum praefecti, imitarentur, Utinam iterum qui utinam, et ipsi essent beati, et cunctae orbis regionis beatissimai. Talem tamtum tamtumque ademptum. Lugeant musae caritesqui, lugeant veneres cupidinesqui, lugeant omnes juvenum et infarum cori, tu vero batonia, Necessis tuem lugeri, principem, praeceptorem, amicum, patronum. Heu heu numquam post hac habitura parem. The following translation
0: of this epitaph will give the English reader an idea of its contents, though not of its elegance. The Epitaph of Richard Nash, Esquire. Here lies Richard Nash, born in an obscure village and from mean ancestors, to whom, however, strange to relate, both the vulgar and the mighty, without bribe or compulsion, unanimously gave a kingdom, equally rich and flourishing, a kingdom which he governed more than fifty years, with universal approbation and applause. To his empire was also added, by the consent of all orders, a celebrated province, which he ever swayed with great prudence, not by delegated power, but in person. He deigned to visit it every year, and while the necessities of state demanded his presence, he usually continued there. In such greatness of fortune his pride discovered itself by no marks of dignity, nor did he ever claim the honours of prostration. Despising at once titles of adulation, and laying aside all royal splendour, Wearing not even the diadem, he was content with being distinguished only by the ornamental ensign of a white hat, a symbol of the candour of his mind. He was a most prudent legislator, and more remarkable even than Solon or Lysurgus. He at once established and authorised whatever laws were thought convenient, which were equally serviceable to the city and grateful to strangers who made it their abode. He was at once a provider and a judge of pleasures, but still conducted them with gravity and elegance, and repressed licentiousness with severity. His chief care was employed in preventing obscenity or impudence from offending the modesty or the morals of the fair sex, and in banishing from their assemblies tumult, clamour, and abuse. He not only adorned this city, which he loved, with beautiful structures, but improved it by his examples. As no man knew, no man taught what was becoming better than he. He was just, liberal, kind, and facetious, a friend to all, but particularly to the poor. He had no enemies, except some of the trifling great or dull declaimers, foes to all mankind." Equally a lover of peace and of his country, he fixed a happy and lasting concord in his kingdom, so that none dare convey scandal or injure by open violence the universal peace, or even by carrying arms appear prepared for war with impunity. But though his power was boundless, yet never did liberty flourish more which he promoted both by his authority and cultivated for his fame he found out the happy secret a thing not to be considered without surprise of uniting the vulgar and the great the poor and the rich the learned and ignorant the cowardly and the brave in the bonds of society an equal king to all whatever his faults were for we all have faults they were rather obnoxious to himself than others they arose neither from imprudence nor mistake never from dishonesty or corrupt principle, but so harmless were they, that though they failed to create our esteem, yet can they not want our pardon. Could other kings and governors but learn to imitate his example, would to heaven they could, then might they see themselves happy, and the people still enjoying more true felicity. Ye muses and graces mourn his death, ye powers of love, ye choirs of youth and virgins, but thou, O Barthonia, more than the rest, cease not to weep, your king, your teacher, patron, friend, never, are never, to behold his equal. Whatever might have been justly observed of Mr. Nash's superiority as a governor, at least it may be said that few contemporary kings have met with such able panegyrists. The former enumerates all his good qualities with tenderness, and the latter enforces them with impetuosity. They both seem to have loved him, and honourably paid his remains the last debt of friendship. But a cool biographer, unbiased by resentment or regard, will probably find nothing in the man either truly great or strongly vicious. His virtues were all amiable, and more adapted to procure friends than admirers. They were more capable of raising love than esteem. He was naturally endued with good sense, but by having been long accustomed to pursue trifles, his mind shrunk to the size of the little objects on which it was employed. His generosity was boundless, because his tenderness and his vanity were in equal proportion the one impelling him to relieve misery and the other to make his benefactions known in all his actions however virtuous he was guided by sensation and not by reason so that the uppermost passion was ever sure to prevail his being constantly in company had made him an easy though not a polite companion he chose to be thought rather an odd fellow than a well-bred man Perhaps that mixture of respect and ridicule with which his mock royalty was treated first inspired him with this resolution. The foundations of his empire were laid in vicious compliance. The continuance of his reign was supported by a virtuous impartiality. In the beginning of his authority he in reality obeyed those whom he pretended to govern. Towards the end he attempted to extort a real obedience from his subjects, and supported his right by prescription. Like a monarch Tacitus talks of, they complied with him at first because they loved, they obeyed at last because they feared him. He often led the rich into new follies, in order to promote the happiness of the poor, and served the one at the expense of the other. Whatever his vices were, they were of use to society, and in this neither Petronius, nor Apiaeus, nor Trigelius, nor any other professed voluptuary could say. To set him up, as some do, for a pattern of imitation, is wrong, since all his virtues received a tincture from the neighbouring folly. To denounce peculiar judgments against him is equally unjust, as his faults raise rather our mirth than our detestation. He was fitted for the station in which fortune placed him. It required no great abilities to fill it, and few of great abilities but would have disdained the employment. He led a life of vanity, and long mistook it for happiness. Unfortunately, he was taught at last to know that a man of pleasure leads the most unpleasant life in the world. End of section 16.